Hello, and welcome to roundtable number one of Dualistic Unity. I'm Andrew. I'm Ray. And today we have Sophie and Ella and Mary joining us for the roundtable. We're going to be uh, talking about a few different subjects today, but we might as well start, start with something simple, the existence of God. So who would like to break the ice on this one? I, I trust everybody here um, has their own opinion of God. Is everybody from uh, a religious background? Uh, how about uh, how about you, Sophie? I know, Mary, you come from a Christian background. Yeah, personally, not uh, from a religious background. Didn't grow up raised under any religion, frankly. So I think that's kind of skewed my viewpoint in a way of not really having super influence to go one way or the other. Um, I've been exposed to a bunch of different religions, went to a Jewish law school, so got a lot of exposure to Judaism there, but yeah, that's definitely where I've been. Nice, that's interesting for sure, because Judaism has a very different concept of God. They, of course, God, they, their entire religion is wrapped up very much in, in their language as well as their history, so and even the, the verb to be is a reference to, to um, Yahweh. In, in Judaism. So it's very different than say just the, the simple mainline Christianity, which is just, you know, sky daddy, as it were, you know, um, Judaism tends to be much more personal as a religion. So it's interesting that you had exposure to that, not being from a religious background yourself. Um, I, I think that probably gives you a more nuanced view of the topic than anything else. I, I often think to myself that people who, who didn't get pounded over the head with it from an early age, kind of get a different experience of it. Like my daughter, for example, she's, she's never been involved with religion at all. And her perspective of the concept of God is very light. It's kind of like, well, that's interesting. With me, it was like, oh, I hope I'm not going to hell. Please don't strike me down. That kind of thing, right? So it's, um, that, that's really interesting. And I'm looking forward to getting into more of your interpretation of the concept of God and the reality. And uh, how about you, Ella? Uh, what was your experience with religion like? Yeah, so when I was growing up, I was it was pretty much just me and my mom she was a single mom so we didn't have time to go to church but my extended family would take me every so often and I learned the basics like of bible study and the story of Adam and Eve and I could always tell that I was um, a little bit skeptical of it and confused if it was just something that we told each other or if it was actually the truth but now that I've like come to learn all this stuff. I, I started to see like similarities between all religions and the main takeaway is like awareness and we're not separate from each other. Like we are God, if that makes sense, but each religion kind of has its own way of telling it. So I, I do not think that religions have to be harmful if you have a certain perspective. I don't know if that makes sense, but yeah, that's kind of where I'm at right now. Yeah, absolutely. That makes perfect sense. I, I agree. It's just, it's like, uh, it's like any other story or any other narrative that can have insight. It can point the way for you. It can even give you kind of a North star to guide your decisions. But as soon as you start taking it as you know, the absolute dedicated truth that nothing else can hold a flame to it becomes very dangerous you start putting yourself up on a pedestal even if you don't even mean to and everybody kind of gets judged as a result so no that makes complete sense it's good again that you've kind of come out the other end of religion with the same unifying insight and of course mary 
you uh, you have an experience in Christianity, much like Andrew and myself. We've talked about that before. I'd love to hear about your your specific interpretation and insights about God. So um, I wasn't born into it. Um, my grandpa, he's a priest, a Catholic priest. And so when I was really young, I would like go every now and then. But then I moved and had a friend that was Christian and we would go to church. Eventually my family started going to church and I always had doubts, but um, I was always taught to just like not doubt. So that was kind of pushed away. Um, but eventually I just got to the point where nothing made any sense. So I just left and that's when um, I really started digging deeper into life and kind of just realized that if God is omnipresent, then I am God. And so is everyone else. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, that sounds pretty similar to my experience, just like less and less, the more questions I asked, the less anything, any of it made sense. And then it was like, wait, God is everything and everywhere and all knowing all the time. That means, you know, we are something within everything, right? So I am God then. And it's like, oh, no, no, God is, God is very, God is within you, but he is not you. And it's like, that's sort of like cognitive dissonance of like literally teaching that God is everything and everywhere, but then like not holding on to it. And it's like, they get so caught up in the rules and the ideas about God and the ideas that they are taught that they are just like kind of regurgitate throughout their life. They don't even like take a second to sit back and like really think about it. They're just like, as long as I do W X Y Z, you know, I get to heaven and it's like, you know, this easy sort of thing. And they don't really have to go through the like life experiences of like actually seeing it in action, actually experiencing God, like we talk about so much. And they just, you know, as long as they believe in it or, you know, for hardcore Christians, as long as they believe that Jesus is Lord and savior, like that's it. They can do anything they want. As long as they believe that Jesus Christ is the Lord and savior, they're good. So it's, it's quite interesting. I find that sort of thinking and just how it just really doesn't make much sense when you take a step back, but they're so caught up in it that they oftentimes miss the forest and the trees. Yeah, definitely. I had an experience. I went to a Bible camp or something of that sort. And there's this term that they use, which is being saved. <clears throat> and people were saying, you know, I got saved last night. Like, it's like a feeling that you feel God for the first time or like what everyone's actually talking about. And I had a moment, it was during a sermon or when the preacher was talking, I don't, I don't really know what it's called. And I had that feeling of being saved. But when I look back on it, I realized that it was the feeling of like acceptance and love. And you can feel those things in religion, but it's under a guise and it makes you feel still separate. So like that is kind of the reason that drove me to question, am I really saved? What did I really feel? Was it God? I think it was showing me that there is this feeling of acceptance, but it's, 
it's a little bit different than what you might have been taught. You know what I mean? <laughs> very much, very much. Uh, one of my favorite expressions, and I often find this kind of funny tongue in cheek, um, is that God helps those who help themselves. Because of course, we're all God. And, and as we help ourselves, as we let go, as we surrender, God forgives us and lets go and surrenders. And that, that's why Jesus was always saying that, you know, the kingdom of heaven is near. God is always forgiving. The present is always forgiving because your narrative no longer applies there. So you always have the ability to just come to the moment where you're free. Right. And so, yeah, it, it's very much that. But I, I've witnessed many people of many different religions, mostly Christian, because, of course, that, that they tend to focus most on, on that, uh, that judgment part, but who just end up stuck waiting for Jesus to forgive them, waiting for God to forgive them, not realizing that the entire time it was their own ability to forgive themselves that would open up that, that experience. And, and of course, the more we judge ourselves, the harder that is, which I've all, often found was in, interesting even in Judaism, because of course the Torah means the law. It's literally a, a book about how do we judge ourselves? How do we keep ourselves on the straight and narrow in terms of uh, God's divine will or God's uh, commandments? And so there's there's a whole other thing there where suddenly we have this idea of God as opposed to, to the reality of God, which doesn't have a set list of rules. It doesn't have the structure of, say, you know, the law, like Sophie was saying, has experienced in it herself, is that there is, it's all ambiguity, right? So which is where the whole faith thing comes from. But then we get in there and we go, okay, well, we know all that, but we've had insights about unity. So let's just write that down and make it easier for everybody else so they don't have to think about all of this. It's like, right, but it's in the thinking of that that they can connect to God or connect to, to awareness or, or the universe, right? So we almost, we almost set people back by trying to make it easier for them when we should just get out of the way and be there ourselves and just kind of be an example of how that feels and, and how one lives when you feel free, right? But that's not often what we do. And that's where religion often comes from. Uh, Sophie, I have just a quick question for you. Since you didn't necessarily grow up pounded over the head with religion, do you find yourself reaching for the fiction of, of God or, or source consciousness from time to time? Do you find yourself, especially in times of stress, say, for example, because I know that's where it comes up for me, but that's largely because of my background. Um, do you find yourself reaching for an idea that there is a, a, a guiding presence in the universe, whatever you might call it, that's helping you along or, or that you have to somehow make sure that you're aligned with, that you, you're, you're jumping through the right hoops for them? Do you have any of that experience? Interesting question. And I think first, I kind of want to respond to what you guys are talking about, because it makes me think of, I think there's an Alan Watts quote where along the lines, he says that a person who clings to religion or the concept of a God has no faith at all, because ultimately, you know, you're spending the whole time clinging and attaching that identity of presence to the identity of the religion. So you never had the chance to actually experience presence because you spend your whole life chasing that idea and I guess going off I think maybe it was Mary who said it kind of I've kind of been skeptical of religion my whole life and kind of feeling like it just it didn't really make sense to me um how there can be not only religions but different types of them that while they all kind of say the same thing are so conflicting and are the root of so many tensions across the world and the wars and why people are separated and why people would get killed all the time. So it just didn't really make sense to me. And I really always viewed it as something that is, just, I don't want, you know, and I, I really, I have a lot of friends who are religious. So I'm 
very respectful of their religion. Um, but I, it just, it's been very hard for me to kind of believe it and, you know, fall, I don't want to say a victim to it, but I do kind of see that of some people where they are so clinging so hard their whole lives and they can't even understand what it is to be present at all, if that makes sense. Yeah. As, as Ray always says, the only true religion is none. Right. And I find it so like religion is probably the most divisive thing that's ever come to be on this planet when you think about it. And I, I find it so fascinating when I came across a TikTok account, someone tagged in one of my posts talking about Sky Daddy. And it was like some Catholic something. And I went to the page and was just looking and, and they like pick apart other religious people's beliefs that are like, like a Protestant specific TikTok page. They'll like pick apart, like nitpick the scripture verses that they choose and why like the Catholics are right and the Protestants are wrong. And I'm like, they're just going at this like internal thing, like that no one even like really bothers paying attention to, I'm sure, except for people that heavily identify with either of those things. But like, it's just not relevant to the rest of the world. And it's so fascinating how, yeah, like how many religions there are. There's so many. And the whole idea, uh, there's some, maybe Ricky Gervais has some funny uh, stand-up bits about how religious people are just one God away from being atheists. Like you don't believe in, you know, 9,999 gods, but you only believe in one. So like you're 99.999% atheist in that sense, in terms of like sky daddy God, as opposed to understanding that like you are God, but yeah, the whole idea of, of just how divisive religion really is when you're able to take a step back and look at things and, and people who are so identified with it, it's like, 99% of them were born into that. Like there are people who, you know, come to find God later in their life in the sense of like in a religious capacity, but for the most part, you're born into it. Like you wouldn't believe in that if it wasn't for your parents and your grandparents and everyone before you. So yeah, it is, it's very, very interesting. I, I find it interesting um, to think about, I wonder a lot of time, like is, I feel like fear is a large root of religion, you know, trying to talk about, maybe we could talk about like what people think about the, how those, the fear and religion and how they connect and what their connection are. Cause at least all the religion I've read about what I know about a lot of underlying, it feels like it's fear. You know, you don't want to, you can't live a certain way. Cause if you don't live a certain way, X, Y, Z is going to happen to you or God's not going to accept you. So you're fearful of, if I don't do these things, what's going to happen to me when I die? And I think that kind of connecting to death creates this viewpoint of not even wanting to think of death in a way that other people might have, you know, trying to accept it or understand it because there's all these conditions that come with it, which is depending whatever religion you're in, you know, if I do this then I'll be a good person. And if I, you know, if I don't eat kosher food, then that's, you know, that's, I'm going to be, you know, God won't accept that. So I feel like there's so much fear based, at least in my opinion. So I'd be curious to hear what other people think about the connection of fear and religion. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Go ahead, Mary. This is a great point. I just wanted to mention one thing quickly about uh, kosher foods. It's funny how our, our requirements all of a sudden for religion will start to change according to time and the environment, because now all of a sudden uh, camels have been considered kosher. That's okay, despite having the cloven hoof, right? And it's largely because of, of, of the meat requirements of the, of the population at the time. And they're just like, no, no, 
that's okay now. In the same way the Catholic Church is like, oh, okay, so you know, sex out of wedlock, that's okay now, right? So it's it's very much marketing. Whereas before in the old world, it was, you know, how how judgmental is your God? And that was very much the the marketing point, right? You get this much superiority with this religion, right? Whereas now it's like, no, no, that that all of those dividing lines is actually making harder for us to spread religion. That's why here in Canada, there was a poll recently showing that I think there's 59% of uh, followers left in Canada compared to where we were like 20 years ago in terms of religion, just people are walking away from religion because they're not finding it, it aligns with their, their lives in, in the real world. So it's inevitable. Mary? Yeah, it's still kind of terrifying for me sometimes, like um, because I've only been out of church for three or so years. Um, I still have a lot of programming left from it. And sometimes like, I'm still like scared. And I start to realize that like, it's not the leaving that's scaring me, it's the church itself. You know, it's the fear coming from the belief system. So yeah. No, I know what you mean. And I was thinking about what Ray was saying first. (laughs) And I was like, do we even get into Christmas? Maybe we should just leave that. But um, the fear always came from really, oh, I want to get into heaven. And also, I want to be protected. I want to be safe. Like, there's the prayer that you say at night. Now I lay me down to sleep. Yeah, like, I used to say that when I was a kid because it brought me comfort. But now that I found all these things out, the fear comes from the church, from instilling that in us and leading us astray into the the scale that it is. So many people that are under that influence, that's scary. And what, I'm sorry, what Sophie was saying about fear too, I really see it as a fear of the unknown because how did the universe come about? It gives them an easy explanation. So many things that you don't know or how or you don't know how to navigate everyday life so you have someone else tell you when usually it should just come from like the heart. So there's so many different aspects of fear that play into it from like so many different perspectives that it seems like that's a really big focal point in the reasoning that it's so, um, it's so powerful it's so strong it's because like latches on to the deepest parts of what we're trying to understand and gives you a simple explanation yeah i kind of compare that to the way like some salespeople or people in nutrition or fitness especially try and make things very confusing at first they make things very confusing and complex so that later on in their, you know, pitch or explanation, they can come in and be like, I know this seems super confusing, but if you just buy this for me for, you know, four easy payments of a hundred bucks every two months, like it will solve all of this. So the church does a very, very good job of instilling a shitload of fear on purpose so that then they can be the one that is like, you know, all these things are like definitely the truth and you're super afraid of them. And now you're like, have all this trauma, but here we'll come in and like soothe it. And as long as you just, you know, give us money and and pray to God and say your stuff every night and go to church every Sunday, 
like you'll be good as long as you like support us, but they're the ones that are instilling the fear in the first place. And it's just like someone who like confute, like tries to confuse people initially so that they can come in and like sell their product or sell their program to like deconfuse you. And it's just like snake oil salesman tactics pretty much. And that's all it is. So I think that really is the reason for the fear and stillment is so that it kind of like they're able to do that to children. Essentially, that's when people mostly get indoctrinated when people are, you know, going primarily in the theta brainwave state, they're just like, you know, a sponge basically for every experience that they have. They're just like downloading everything going on in their life. And the church is a massive part of children's lives and the idea of heaven and hell. And, you know, don't be a bad boy or girl because, you know, you might burn in hell for eternity. And it's like, when you say it out loud, it's so fucked up, but yeah. Yeah. I think that's where it stems from is just instilling that fear so they can come in and soothe it through all through, you know, made up belief systems. That's really interesting because sometimes I wonder if, because that's true. I mean, the fact is that's how the church survives, right? But that doesn't necessarily mean that's where it started because even just in believing in God, we immediately create a separation, right? There's a separation between us and God. And while that idea might be used to give us a sense of comfort and certainty and control, it also immediately creates a figure that is still unknown, that we have to appease, that now it's even worse than it was. Not Now we're not just uncertain, we're uncertain about this shadowy figure that doesn't even exist. And so it's almost like as soon as we decide to believe in God, fear is right there at, at our heels because there's no choice. We're creating a new unknown. We're creating a new uncertainty in our effort to solve our, our, our uncertainty. So it kind of just goes full circle and comes back at us. But as Ella was saying earlier, there are things within religion that are positive. I mean, people have, have often said this to me, citing peer-reviewed research that, of course, there, there's proof that religion brings people together, that it, it can facilitate community and empathy. And there has been evidence showing that that's good for people in their lives. And I mean, of course, obviously, obviously, you know, empathy and community is good for people in their lives. And, and religion can help facilitate that. But it, as we said before, it becomes almost an obstacle to that because then you're only showing empathy and community to the people who agree with you right the people who share your your worldview and so that that cuts you off from everybody else and makes everybody else a reason to be afraid in the same way as your fictional god right so i i think that if we can adopt the empathy that comes with religion i think that if we can adopt the mentality and, and the insight that we're all in this together and just operate from there that the mentality we're talking about would would almost do its own marketing, as it were, because you're just out there living for yourself through everybody else. I mean, that that's the definition of altruism. I think that that would be the reincarnation of religion, religion without it being religion that we'd all like to see. So I think it's interesting to think about kind of like how the concept of free will might play into this and you know, we're talking so much about like the church and the church does this and the church drawing analogies to church like sales, they want to get people in it. And then, you know, you think about the guy in the church and he's been in it, his parents have been in it and their grandparents have been in this religion and 
it just gets passed and passed down to them. So what separates them from the person like me who just so happened to be existing on the same earth, but just doesn't, isn't in that world in the sense of that's just not the body I was born into. That's just not who I am. So what gives someone the choice to, you know, kind of give them their free will to, if they don't want to be in their religion, to leave it and to understand whether that's something that they actually don't want to be in. I mean, you hear people who like end up leaving religion or who don't. And I guess this kind of goes to like a larger question of like, do we have free will? Can, is everything kind of just like predefined for us? Like, can you really decide if I want to leave a religion or that just is what you're experiencing? So I think it's interesting to think about also when touching about like judgments in other people who might not be in a religion of you, but does anyone really have a choice of what religion they're in? I mean, that kind of might go a little far-fetched when what we're trying to talk about in this conversation, but I, I find it interesting to think about when analyzing that, you know, religion. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's, I think there's levels to it, right? Like someone who like Sophie, for example, who isn't really born into a religion, isn't going to have something to, you know, get out of. So you're kind of starting from a certain position. And with free will, we've talked about it a few times on the podcast. And I think I still, because I was always under kind of like before I started talking to Ray, the idea that, you know, you don't really have free will. And I think it's like, like you do and you don't kind of that sort of thing. And it depends how you define you like everyone has a definition of themselves and and if you understand that you're the universe experiencing itself it's like instead of thinking like the analogy of there's an analogy i heard once that was like if you're in a hurricane and you know this human is just like a bird within a hurricane like you don't you can kind of like have some movement whatsoever but not really much, like you're kind of getting tossed around by the hurricane. But if you understand that you are the entire hurricane, all of a sudden that perspective, like, or not hurricane birds aren't in hurricanes, they're in tornadoes more so. <laughs> so if, if you're a tornado, it's like, if you understand you're the entire tornado, all of a sudden, like your perspective kind of shifts a little bit in that sense. So I've always been interested in free will. And I feel like my perspective always used to be like looking back on your life, would you have ever made any decision? Like, you know, this morning I had yogurt for breakfast, every kind of thing that happened leading up to my decision to choose to reach in my fridge and grab yogurt was like every decision leading up to it kind of like led to that sort of decision. So looking back, would I have ever done anything differently? Like, I don't know, but in that moment, I definitely had the option of oatmeal or yogurt or, you know, cereal. So it's, it's kind of like, do people have the choice to leave the church? Like, yeah, they do. Do some people suffer more consequences or more afraid that they don't even want to bother with the consequences? Cause some people are, you know, heavily indoctrinated to the point that it's difficult, even if they choose to want to leave it's more difficult because of the community that they're in, the way that everyone in their community will think of them, their parents will be disappointed, things like that. So yeah, it's not, it's one of those things that like, it's kind of, you do and you don't, it's kind of like gray area. Like everyone wants everything to be black and white, but it isn't always 
so, but I think there are levels to it. And, you know, people, sometimes it can be easier or more difficult for people, certainly depending on their situation. Yeah, absolutely. And, and especially when you are raised within that community and everybody that you know is, is very much participating in that narrative to the point where that's the cornerstone of their certainty. That's the cornerstone of, of the relationships with one another. And so when you do by questioning or, or by necessity, for me, it was the fact that my life changed so very much that the things that I was taught about Christianity no longer resonated as true. And they just seemed over, overly simplified for the hell that I was experiencing. And so that's what pushed me out, out at the other end of religion, whereas some people just question their way out of religion. But in that process, it's like the whole world around you shakes. And it's because, and, and I've often thought about this, is it, it, do we have free will or is it predetermined? And I think it really comes down to our awareness of the narrative that we're caught in because it's always free will, even if we're unconscious, right? We're, we're technically choosing to be unconscious. We may not like that reality, but at the end of the day, the responsibility to wake up is on us. But when we say waking up, what do we mean? We mean looking at our habitual narrative, looking at the, the, the loop or the rut that we created for ourselves just by habit through repetition, right? And so as soon as we become aware of that, suddenly we can choose a different meal, as Andrew was saying. Suddenly we have the potential to just change, uh, change that direction and go somewhere else. But it's almost until, it's not until we're aware that we're caught in a loop, that we can change the loop. But our life, our day-to-day -day existence, our relationships, everything is, is, is built around the loops that we built, built for ourselves. So as soon as we break a loop, everything around us starts to shake and fall apart and people resist and they judge you and they tell you you're going the wrong way and they, they try to pull you back. And you can think, oh, well, they're using their free will to pull me back, but they're responding out of their habitual loops as well. So it's almost like your free will is tugging away from what is ultimately still their free will, but because we're all connected, it's just like the process of a single mind changing and weighing the pros and the cons. That's what's happening is that we as a singular awareness are different thoughts, comparing ourselves to one another and kind of finding a balance for what awareness and clarity is. And so when I look at free will or, or predetermination, it's very much the same thing. Like Andrew was saying, it's just a matter of perspective. If you want to look at your will as the individual, it's absolutely free will. If you look at your will as the will of the whole, then it's all predeterminism, right? And so I always find that really interesting is that it's not necessarily about one or the other so much as just being aware that both of them are perspectives of what is, which is always just here and now. So what do you want to do? <laughs> and yeah. then you can keep going in that loop. Absolutely. And that really is beautiful because I look at it as not so much, do we have free will or not? But I look at it from like an infinite perspective, like as the neutral, as the neutral observer, you see that the universe plays out by this who knows what code it is it's just it's a, the natural law and our thoughts and everything that we do happens because of that so it is predetermined but we also have the ability to think whatever we so it's like it's not just we have all our actions played out for us but we also have 
the free will to do whatever we want. So when we reach that moment, it's like this divine timing of the universe. Like you were meant to question and you were meant to come to this understanding because who knows why you just were and you have. And when other people might not be there yet, it's happening for a reason. And it does take one person at a time, but that can't be changed, like the process of it. So yeah, it's crazy. Absolutely. It's funny because it, it's kind of a contradiction. It's like you were meant to wake up because you chose to wake up. Right? That's why I always find it funny when people are like, oh, Jesus was chosen. It's like Jesus chose, which is why he was chosen, because they're one and the same. Right. It's that contradiction. I love that. I find that really, really interesting. Yeah, it's like that's where the sort of non-duality comes in. It's like there is no separation between no matter how hard you think about it, like Jesus chose, so he was chosen. It's like, it's like, oh, was it like a split second separation? Like he chose and then he was chosen. And it's like really quick. And it's like, nope, that's, there's no separation there. And even with this discussion too, sometimes I, you know, get caught up in having a conversation about it. And then like, and I love having conversations about, about it and whatnot. And like, whether we have free will or not, or, you know, it depends on your perspective, but then I always remember, like, does it matter? I am, I am here now and I can, you know, make, I am aware of what is here and now, and I can make the decisions that I feel like making. So whether it's all predetermined or not, like here I am experiencing life, like, let's see what I can do with it. And that's sort of where I settle if I some, cause sometimes I get too deep into it and it's almost like, you know, gets you, your brain starts hurting and you're like, ah, it, it doesn't either way. It doesn't really matter too much. Like here I am, like I, I can do things and I will because I can. Yeah, absolutely. Freedom. I mean, this is the recognition of that ultimately is, is heaven, right? It's the surrendering of your borders, surrendering of your limitations that you conceptually create for yourself. I can't do that because of this part of my story. And I can't do that because of this part of my story. And you let all that go. And suddenly you can do pretty much whatever you want or what, whatever is within your ability. Right. But the extreme polar opposite of that is the, the ever tightening box of the narrative that you create for yourself, which is ultimately creating more of a sense of disconnection. And I bring this up because this is something that Mary wanted to discuss as well, was the experience of hell, the experience of living hell. And of course, in religion, and, and I'm, I, I argue this a lot, and it's ultimately going to be the basis of our next video project, Beyond Transcendence, religion is talking about an experience that is very real and universally available to everybody. But it's doing it's doing so through old archaic uh, language, through old narratives, through the culture of the time, all of that other stuff. And so, when they're talking about the devil, we tend to get a picture of you know a guy with horns and a pitchfork, right? Which of course Christianity helped us with. And then we picture God, we got a guy in the, in the sky and all of that. But when we're talking about the devil, it's just symbolism for the ego, for the, the overcommitment to our idea of ourself that, that offers us control over the world, right? And offers us, you know, the, the uh, respect and, and admiration of everybody. It offers uh, to make us a king and that's the ego, right? So when you look at religion, they're really just talking about what we're talking about here is that the more caught up we get in our idea of ourselves, and the need for control, the need for power, the need to judge, the need for superiority, the more disconnected we feel, and we end up in a state of living hell. And Mary, I'm just wondering, what's your experience with that? Is that something that you found in your own experience as well? 
Yeah, I think that I get into a state of heavy anxiety because I don't know what's going to happen next. And so, like, my mind creates scenarios of hell, basically. And it feels real. And, like, um, it feels like I'm experiencing it here. So, yeah, that's my experience on that. Um, it, like, happens sometimes and then it'll go away and I'll be good be chilling but then it'll happen again and it really has a lot to do with like my ego being afraid of death like and just afraid of um not surviving past a certain point so yeah yeah comes back to that identity right identity is the root Ray and I talked a lot about this on our podcast on Monday because that was something that hit me recently. Just like I saw it much more clearly that anything, including things like, you know, beliefs, especially beliefs, any belief that you have, any opinion that you have just reinforces me, reinforces the identity that you have cultivated. So basically any thoughts that you have and any fears and any worries and any anxieties are rooted in that identity. Like what fears do you really have that aren't like kind of filtered through the idea of you? So without the idea of you, there really isn't that much to be afraid of or worried about. Like if there was no you, like that's kind of where it all stems from for the most part. But we, so understanding and like, that's why I, I'm okay, you know, making a lot of videos about people, how important it is to question your beliefs, because people see that, especially the ones about God and like sky daddy God, that they think that I'm just like being a dick. And like, I get some sadistic enjoyment in getting people super uncomfortable to the point that they're like, you know, so angry. And you can see it in any of the comment sections, you can see it. And, you know, people close to me that it's like, it really fires people up, but I don't think they, they just don't realize how closely tied to their fear and anxiety and worries. Those two things are like, they just don't see the connection and the connection is identity that those beliefs build up their identity. They are a believer. They are a Christian. They are a Catholic. You know, they have all of these thoughts about themselves and that those thoughts about themselves are what you know, builds up those fears and worries and anxieties. So the more you can question it, the less beliefs that you have, the less opinions you have about every goddamn thing going on in the world, you know, the less identity there will be. And it doesn't, you know, it's not like your identity just goes away, but it gets to that point where, you know, you're existing in this illusion of duality with this identity, but it's not that you're taking it seriously. It's not, you know, that isn't who you are and like all that you are, like people like, most of the time when people are getting caught up in those things, they are tied to this idea of them. And that's where it all kind of filters through. So when you're caught up in that idea of hell, it's usually just a lot about me. And that's where it is rooted in my whole thing. Like that I talk about a lot is like social anxiety. And in high school, I was super quiet because I was always worried about what people thought of Andrew, like what people thought of me. So I figured, you know, if people, I 
if I don't just like put, ever put myself out there, no one can really have much of an opinion of me. And then, you know, there's less judgment on me. But meanwhile, I was existing in hell because I was like so afraid of putting myself out there and risking people not liking Andrew. And it all came back to this identity. And then, you know, the more I realized that people just weren't thinking about me and then, you know, eventually more recently realized that Andrew is nothing more than a figment of my imagination, essentially a bundle of ideas and thoughts that are only reinforced by my beliefs. And, and even, you know, as far as something like gratitude reinforces that identity. And while people will definitely argue that, and I'm looking forward to some debates about gratitude, because that is like, you know, number one buzzword in the self-help guru world, that too, reinforce anything you're grateful for comes back to that identity. And that identity is the root of all of it. So anything that reinforces it will perpetuate that cycle. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I know, Sophie, you were, um, you had mentioned that you gear into the practice more and more, the practice of mindfulness and meditation, um, coming back to the present, getting out of your mind and whatnot. And I know um, you may not have the Christian mythology pounding you over the head, but I, I, I'm sure that you are in, are getting into that those topics and into that practice specifically because of the alternative, which is not being present, which is getting caught up more and more in your head and in your narratives and in projections into the future and, and rehearsing uh, conversations with people that haven't happened or happened in the past or things like that. And so, I mean, that that all can contribute to very much what, what is being described with the symbolism of hell. Um, did you find that that was a process that came about in your life more or less out of necessity or, or was it inspired by you meeting somebody who, who was already practicing this that showed you maybe uh, a way of being that you hadn't that hadn't occurred to you was possible before? What, what was your journey to this uh, practice of meditation and mindfulness? Yeah, so I think I was always someone who kind of like questioned things growing up, um, but I had a good friend in law school who got me into listening to the Sam Harris waking up uh, meditation podcast app. And that really got me thinking about things and like ways I haven't thought about it all kind of just made make sense but just on a bigger scale like I think I was really struggling with like always being in my head kind of living on autopilot and not really understanding that I was and hearing when I started to meditate and started to just you know meditate and were defined as the practice of sitting down and for 20 or 10 minutes like putting on something that I was meditating too realizing that whoa like there's this just chatter that just happens in my head and I'm like what what the hell is that like because it stops when you stop focusing on it or you stop you know you stop giving awareness to it or attention to it when you first start meditating so that I felt you know such bliss in those times where I didn't have that chatter so it just kind of like that wanting to have that more and more and I do think I think and I think Andrew's talked about this in some of his channels like the idea of whether you need to physically sit down to meditate to get that and kind of maybe the dangers of relying on meditation. You know, I sometimes I'm like, okay, this morning I have to do 10 minutes of meditation because if I don't, how am I going to feel? And then it's, you know, realizing, okay, well, I can go and walk and find that idea of meditation and presence just by walking around the city or just doing things of where I am aware. And so I think just going back to the original question, that's kind of how I got into it um, from a friend, but it kind of led me down a path of just realizing that 
I didn't need to live in my head and there was ways to live beyond that. Very much like the, just like the, um, the recognition of God or, or a genuine spiritual experience as opposed to just dogmatic belief. Um, you, you, it just makes sense all of a sudden, that's all you need. Like you, you, you kind of had this kick out the door, maybe some inspiration, maybe out of necessity, but as soon as you felt that freedom to any degree whatsoever, that's it. That's all there is to it from now on. It's like, I just want to carry that with me. Whatever that was, whatever that lightness is, that's what I want. That's what, if that's available, I'm going to take more of that. Right. And, and that's when you start becoming self-refining in, in your process, you start just keep continuing going down that path. And I think that's something that religion, unfortunately lost over time. I've often thought about how old world religion was very different than it is now, because we didn't have necessarily all of the explanations for things that we have now, right? Like if you look at the sun going down, we're like, Oh, okay. Well, that's, you know, a ball of energy in the sky that, you know, we rotate around and we have all this explanation. But at one point when the sun was going down, we didn't know it was coming up the next day. And so the event of it coming up was huge. It was massive to us. Right. And it's kind of the same with the idea of God is that, especially with old Judaic belief, it wasn't just that we believe in God. It's that we feel the presence of being constantly it's, it's the entire um, fabric of our lives. We feel it in everything we do. Everything is God. And that old world religion, that old world experience is no longer the case. Now it's more conceptual because we're more wrapped up in our ideas of ourselves. We have more narratives. We have more uh, dividing lines, right? And so it, it's really interesting to me that religion just kind of took philosophy and and made it into a structure and science is very much you know doing the same thing where it's like we can we can look at what's there but then we start taking what we see and we make assumptions about what that means instead of just looking at what's there and marveling at it and and, and having that experience of just oh wow I really don't know what's happening but this is all kind of amazing when I stop judging it and allow myself to witness it and that's why I always find it interesting like Jehovah's Witnesses if you think about it the the name is actually quite profound. They're watching God unfold. They're witnessing Jehovah, right? And, and so it's very realistic if you look at the core elements of where it came from. It's just a practice of mindfulness and meditation. That's all prayer is, right? Prayer is just self-dialogue. That's all you're doing, right? And, and you get to the point where you're no longer having that dialogue. You're no longer convincing yourself everything's going to be okay. You're no longer talking your way through your thoughts. You eventually just have faith and humility. You stop thinking about yourself entirely. And that is faith, right? So advanced meditation and advanced prayer are exactly the same thing. And um, Ella, I wanted to start with you just because, again, Christian background, when you're praying, do you find that you are just talking to yourself or that you're, you're trying to align more with your own wisdom, or do you still sometimes feel that you're getting a response back from something external or from a, a, a deeper intelligence? That's interesting. Cause I was just thinking about that. When you said that prayer is talking to ourselves, I was like, well, I wonder how I feel about that in like my process or what happens when I'm talking to God. Um, I guess I never really did pray very much when I was growing up, or, or pray very much. I said the prayer um, at night to myself, and maybe I would say grace every once in a while, but I didn't ever have like my own moments, I guess, partly because 
I really didn't believe in it. I'll be honest when I was growing up. But now I definitely just have like self check-in moments when I can feel my body acting a certain way. It's usually like the physical that then has me look inward. That's how I can tell a lot of the times because like the mind and the body are connected. But it's really just taking a second to take a deep breath and you can kind of feel the energy leave your body, if that makes sense. I really do tie things back to to physical because it helps me actualize them and not just continue to think and get caught in that trap of ego and things like that. And also, I'm sorry to be going on, but I was talking about when you guys were talking about fear and identity, it just really made me think about once you reach the point of the neutral observer, that is kind of when you have the opportunity to build off of that truth and like become closer to love. But that also is where new anxiety can start and you can get caught in a new loop because you don't know what to do next. And I feel like I'm definitely stuck there. Um, there's this band that I love though. The lead singer, Josh Kiska, he has this quote. He says, fuck fear and live your intelligent, live your legend through the intelligence of love, which is beautiful to me because that's kind of what I was talking to you about on TikTok is I just follow love because I feel like that's a universal truth. And that's what makes me feel the most connected. So why not just try to do that as often as possible, you know? <laughs> that's, that's awesome. Why not? Right. <laughs> that's, I, I can very closely resonate with you. The idea of kind of realizing that you can do, there isn't like this path any longer, like this blueprint that you've been told your entire life that is like, the blueprint, the blueprint for success or for living a good life. Like I, and I mentioned this in discord, I think yesterday, just like Alan Watts kind of comparison between the spikes and the wiggles, like my life up until the last six months has been super spiky, like as spiky as it gets. Like I had very rigid routines. I've always been like pretty disciplined. I knew, you know, what, college I wanted to go to and like what I wanted to do there. And like, I, that was my focus through high school. It wasn't like enjoying high school. It was like getting to the type of school that I wanted to go to. And then once I got to college, I think it kind of like, because that was just such a focus for so long, it wasn't like it was a letdown. Like I really enjoyed my time at college as well, but I didn't after that have this like same sort of drive for the workforce, because I think I was kind of lucky that I had some perspective because a lot of kids from my school kind of have more of that mindset in college. And they have like a specific type of job in like banking or finance or consulting they want to do. And I knew that I didn't want to spend my twenties, like, you know, working crazy hours, but when recently getting back to Ella's point of like, not really knowing what to do. I remember like the last few months and especially like two months ago, I was like, what the hell do I do? And I had an experience where I kind of like, it hit me really hard that, you know, none of this matters, like in this ultimate sense that I always lived my life in a certain 
way, thinking that like, you know, there are specific things that matter and to work towards. And because of this, I'll feel better once I get here and here and whatever. And so that in itself is its own very much its own prison. But once you get out of that, it's like a lot of times people are more comfortable in their prison cells. And when you get out, it's like very uncomfortable because it's not something you're used to. So once I was sort of out of that, I was like, what the fuck do I do now? And then it started to hit me more and more as I started to do things that, you know, there are things that I enjoy. I love creating content. I love making videos. I love doing podcasts. I love doing all of these things. So I just do them and I do them more often and I do them for the sake of doing them. And I think that's the beauty in getting out of that sort of prison cell is all of a sudden you're just experiencing life here and now doing things you enjoy for the sake of doing them. Like there aren't outcomes and that is sort of like living in alignment with God, being God. And that is where you'll actually, it's like being in the river and flowing down the river as opposed to resisting it or trying to go faster than it or trying to get to the edge. Cause you're like so tired of your prison cell. And once you're there, it's like things just get easier. But at first, you know, if you're in a river and you've been swimming against it the whole time and all of a sudden you start to let go, you're like, oh, I don't know. Like, I, I, am I going to be able to float? Am I going to like flow properly? Is this going to take me down this crazy thing that I'm not ready for? And once you get more comfortable in that sort of flow, it happens. But again, like Ray talks about all the time, like, don't judge yourself along the way. Like things will happen sort of as they should. And, and there's just that degree of faith in yourself that, you know, you will find that balance and it may not happen overnight, but it does. And everything leading up to it, you know, every side that you go on, every extreme that you go to on your way there has a reason, you know, sort of like for getting you there. When you look back, like you'll be able to see it more clearly, though you may not always in the moment, I guess. It's just wait for that moment of clarity. It'll come back eventually, right? But that, that's it, is that you know, at first, the uncertainty doesn't feel good. And, and often I'll get messages like, how do I deal with that? You just do. Unfortunately, there's no how. Um, you just have to deal with the uncertainty until, as you said, it starts to refine its way out of you. You start to realize the less you think about yourself, the better you adapt to what's happening. And this is something that, that martial arts really taught me was as soon as I'm thinking about myself or I'm thinking about my opponent, my entire sensitivity for what's happening just disappears. And so, you know, as you're saying, we're on the river and all of a sudden we stop fighting the river and immediately we almost reach for this idea of, oh God, but what do I do now? And then we reach for the eye and that's what causes us to fight the river some more. And so we, we kind of have to go through this transition period. And I think it's really interesting. And I want to mention this because Mary, I, I know recently um, you actually bit the bullet and started your own YouTube channel. So going through that experience, making your first videos, um, I'm sure that, that you, this is exactly what you went through was the uncertainty of it, pushing yourself, listening to all of that, that narrative that you to told yourself about how it's going to go, how people might react, blah, 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 and then just ignoring it and doing it nonetheless. So I would love to hear more about your experience going through that. Um, yeah, there's been multiple times that I've thought about deleting everything from my YouTube channel. Um, but when I do that, I actually decide to share the videos instead. And um, I think that I judge myself a lot when I'm like rewatching them. And 
Um, I'm learning more and more to just let myself post videos um, without judging because people probably don't see what I'm seeing anyway. And they're probably like getting something from it. So I'm just kind of letting myself post my about my experience in life because people might be able to relate to it. So. Yeah. And, and do you find that as your videos go by that that although those thoughts are, are still there because they will be for a long time, these habits don't go away overnight. Do you find that it's getting easier to remind yourself that you can disregard that those thoughts and those doubts that you can just go right, right, right. But that's just thinking. Yeah, I think that's definitely happened. I've only posted like four or so videos and um, the more I go on, the less scary it gets. There are some times that I'm just like, I'll cut out a whole part of the video still because I'm still like, I still have anxiety about what people might think. And, um, but that's happening a lot less. And yeah, it's feeling more natural. That's awesome. That's awesome. What practice makes perfect. And I know uh, Ella, as you mentioned, you're, you're a musician and, and you've been, you know, building um, your, your own band for a little while now. I know you've been talking to me on TikTok and whatnot. Do you find that that's something that, that you are still facing when you get up on stage or when you have a performance? Are you still dealing with some of that, that old narrative or have you found a way that you can just push past it and remind yourself, like, I've dealt with all of that before? Yes still dealing with it definitely it's more like a feeling of imposter syndrome and there's really really big effects like societal effects when it comes to like capitalism and how i'm going to support myself but when it comes to performing it's always what do people think about the way that i sound and it's always if someone's saying something nice then they're just trying to make me feel better so it's I have to check myself and instead of looking at it from well I'm sure that I'm sure it's fine I'm sure it's this just not having an opinion on it at all and just doing it because I love it so that's really what I draw from but I still get stage fright. I feel like that's kind of <laughs> inevitable, um, but it's a good type of nerves. It's like an excited type. And I feel like it comes from a different point now that it's easier to get over and just fall back into the music. So. <laughs> that's awesome. Coming back to, I don't know, right? That's like, I tell myself that so many times a day when I got caught up in my own thoughts and perceptions about myself and, you know, the way things are, the way I feel like someone might be perceiving me. It's just coming back to, I don't know. It's not even that I have to, you know, go through affirmations and reaffirm that I am, you know, doing a great job and have all this positivity kind of bullshit going on in my head. It's just like, I don't need anything in my head and I don't know what is happening. And, you know, I still get, I think, whenever I do like I'm a, a guest on another podcast, for example, like there's a degree of uncertainty and it's gotten to the point that it, it barely comes up anymore, but there's still a little bit. And I'm still kind of grateful that I get a little bit of that because there's like something there. It's almost like more on the side of excitement now for it, as opposed to just like, you know, 
nothing really going on. Like I, I'm glad that there's something there, but I think the best thing I ever realized about that stuff and about nerves, because I used to get super nervous, especially about public speaking was just like that it's okay to be nervous. Like I don't have to fight those feelings. I don't have to make them go away to do a good job. Like I can do a great job while being nervous. It's not like this thing where the nerves have to go away to do a good job. Like you can be nervous and do a good job. And, and the sooner that you accept those nerves or feelings or feelings of discomfort or uncertainty, the sooner they will pass through you. Like they won't last forever. And the more you do it, you know, the quieter they get. And that's sort of the idea of confidence that Ray and I were talking about on the last podcast episode is like, it comes down to action. And it's not even that you get to a point of confidence. It's just, you get to a point where there's no reason to be afraid anymore. So it's, it's basically the same thing, but it's just the lack of fear. So why not do it? Why not do it fully and dive in head first? Exactly. It's always interesting to me. It's, it's kind of like, we have uh, the ability to just drop our intelligence into any situation and allow it to process. But the processing goes according to how clear we are, which is always according to how much we're analyzing our progress. And, and so it's, it's, it's an act of faith constantly, right? So at this point in my life, I'll be honest, I, I almost never know what the hell's happening. And, and I don't really try. I mean, I have an idea in terms of, oh, okay, this is, these are the influences in my life. But I never go out of my way to try and feel like I know what's going to happen past, say, an hour from now, right? Like I, I have a vague idea of what the next hour of my life is going to hold, but I never overcommit to the idea that that's actually what it's going to hold. And so I always find my, myself in this state of uncertainty. And, and at first, I would habitually run from that, right? I would habitually feel anxiety and stress and I would tense. And so this is why I, I really liked what Ella was saying earlier about listening to your body because your body is very, very clear on what it's experiencing if you can slow down enough to actually tune into it, if you can slow down enough to have some sensitivity for it. You can feel the full body clench, is, is typically is what I call it when you are stressed, when you are in fact you know, projecting something to fear. And, and so it, it just becomes about recognizing that me trying to feel safe does not necessarily help me deal with my fear. Right. All it does is help me feel safe. Right. Whereas my intelligence is now split between the problem and trying to make me feel safe instead of just dealing with the problem. And so we almost have to embrace that fear, embrace that panic, embrace that uncertainty and do it often enough where we face something and our only solution is, well, let me just get in there and see what happens. And that's it. It's not, you know, I got this, but let's find out. Right. So there's not even any certainty in that. Right. It's more of just enthusiastic, enthusiastically being willing to see what's possible and just putting yourself in there. So it's, it's, it's an interesting thing in that we try to make it this 10 step progress or 10 step process. And I know I've taken numerous courses on how to be more efficient and how to be more able and be more confident and be a better speaker. And at the end of the day, it was just just go in there and screw it up a few times. You'll get it. Right. You just have to be willing to not judge yourself for screwing up a few times. Right. And that's that's the hardest bit. That's that that habitual panic as we start to drift down the river. Right. It's like, OK, I'm just going to let let go and see what happens. That is not what I expected to happen. And then we start to grip and it's like, no, just let it happen. 
just go with it, continue down that path. You know, it's the counterintuitive thing to do because you always want to try and get a, a grasp on what's happening. But as soon as you do, you lose all sensitivity to it. Yeah, that's very true. And I've also noticed that no matter how many times I come to the realization that I'm the neutral observer, when I have those thoughts of and like that, that panic, when stuff like that happens, I assume that it's coming from that perspective and I need to take it seriously, if that makes sense. So that is like another loop you could get stuck in when you're, it's like reality in motion. Like you have these experiences after you come to this awareness, but you still have to constantly reevaluate it. And all the thoughts that start to come up when something might happen, like those thoughts of fear, anxiety, that's not you. It's the ego. But I know that we I'm kind of repeating just things that other people have said, but this is like a real life thing that happens for everybody and me especially like that's where I'm I'm coming up with this from like my experiences and the fact that we all go through similar things like it's just really important I think to address that aspect of it absolutely and I just want to comment quickly on what you just said because we're all saying the same things there's no real choice right I've said this to Andrew before is that we're, what we're talking about is the relationship between the observer and the observed Every single person who gets to, to the clarity or to the point where they can have that conversation starts saying the same things because it's the same subject, right? Even Jesus said there's nothing new under the sun, something along those lines. It's because this is always the same conversation, right? I, I've had this many times before in, in that I've also had imposter syndrome several, several times, even just being on TikTok, I stopped myself going, yeah, but I'm not really saying anything that's not obvious. Then I remind myself, right. It wasn't always obvious, right? So say it anyway. But yeah, it, it's it's really interesting. You had uh, your hand up there for a second. Sorry, I was just um, applauding, just because I said it in the chat earlier. But I have so many thoughts, and you you have a way to like put them into words. And I know that that comes from experience, and always like you just made so many videos. You have your podcast and. You, I've learned your stories about how you came to this explanation. So you have much more experience on it than I do. But when I hear you say it, it like helps me better understand it. So it's like I'm gaining years like exponentially compared to the rate that you learned it. Like I'm just soaking it all up, if that makes sense. Absolutely. And I, I'm so happy to hear that because ultimately that's, that's why I do this. I've, I've often said to my wife and my daughter that this is possibly the most fun I've ever had just doing this podcast and making TikToks and talking to everybody because you're all me and I know that like I know that so clearly it's not a belief it's nothing like that it's just I just know you're me and I know when I was going through all this there was nothing there for me to listen to there was nobody to talk to there was there was no conversation to be had and so just being able to do all this just being able to throw it out there and just to, it's funny because you'll look at it as, well, you're really good at wording this. And I look at it as I've just pissed off a lot of people over time, right? Like it's just, it's just refined over 20 years of stumbling and, and, and smacking my head against walls and realizing I could have went around them. But uh, yeah, no, I'm, I'm overjoyed because we're all growing together. And, and this is the perfect example of that. 
I'm not saying anything that hasn't been said before. And the fact is, is that I'm not saying anything that I haven't said to other people, but you're the one getting it. All of you are getting it because you're the one choosing to. So it's, it's, it's free will and predeterminism, right? I'm just throwing seeds. You're the ones choosing to pick them up. You said the word fun and it just made me think about something I've been like thinking about recently. Um, just like kind of reflecting back on the difference of childhood versus now and realizing like I'm, I'm in the same body. It's still me. That was, and I think maybe this came up because I was home over Christmas, like watching home videos with my family. It's, it's weird to see yourself and be like, that's, that's me. And you see how like carefree you are and how blissful you are and how no matter what you're doing, your base state is just pure like presence. I mean, I, I, I don't, I go back to when I'm four or five years old. I don't think I was sitting there like in my head wondering what's going to happen tomorrow or what job I'm going to get or how I'm going to pay for a mortgage or any of this stupid shit we all worry about. And it's, I guess it's fascinating to think about how you go from like the purest, happiest, most blissful human being on the, to like be existing at that age. And then you get kind of thrown into this world that kind of like hurts you or damages you and makes you think you can't live and have fun as a, I'm 28 years old. I can't have fun as a 28 year old because I have all these responsibilities or 35 or 40. So I think it's interesting to think about why we think that we can't just, why can't it just be like fun? Why can't all of this just be fun? Even if it isn't, you know, it's, where did these ideas come that this is bad or this is good? It's just, it gets so ingrained in your head. And as as a, a three years old, you don't, you certainly don't think that playing with mud or eating it is bad or good. You just want to do it. You know what I mean? I just, it's interesting to think about how that progresses as you get older and how it kind of gets deter, you know, uh, tainted, if you will. Yeah. It's pretty much just like getting back to that mentality of being a child and I find it so fascinating. Like now when I'm around younger kids and like children, I'm like fascinated because they are, they are what every adult is striving to be like a childlike existence where they are playing, not a care in the world. And people will say, people will argue, you know, like bills, taxes, blah, 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 blah. And it's like, Sure. If you want to hold on to those things and complain about those things your entire life and like make that the bane of your existence, like I can't stop you. I'm not going to force you to stop complaining about that, but you don't have to. And that's where it comes down to. And so when I'm around like kids and I, I find it very strange how some adults treat children also, it's just like this thing that is like so much lesser than them. And they like do the, you know, child like voices. And it's like, there is so much more intelligence expressed through this child than you are expressing right now. Like you are an embodiment of a program essentially for a lot, like so many adults are just, and I, I see that sometimes walking around New York, I'll catch a conversation where it just seems, it feels so scripted and it's so strange how, it's like they're not even, they're saying what they think they should say based on the situation, based on what they've been taught almost as adults is what I'm saying. And then children are just like saying random shit, like children are just like, you know, looks like they're tripping all the time, just like running around almost, which they 
almost are pretty much the equivalent of that. Um, but yeah, I find that relationship between, you know, children and just that sort of existence to adults. We just think we have to be adults and adults are just grown up children who stopped playing and stopped having so much fun and started taking everything so seriously all the time, thinking that they had all of this responsibility when, yeah, like there are certain, certainly a lot of responsibilities more so as an adult than as a child, but you don't have to make that like the core of your existence. You can have those things while simultaneously kind of keeping that playful sort of mindset. And, you know, even people like, I know a lot of people with a lot of money too, like adults who are very well off and like, they just keep kind of striving for that same stuff instead of like being like, oh shit, I have way more than I could ever need. Like, let's go play for 20 years, you know, that sort of thing. Like, it just doesn't really happen because I, I feel like pe- a lot of people don't think that's even an option almost. Which is kind of funny because I mean, it technically should be organically how we develop. I mean, I, I talk about this in Discover Transcendence about Jane Lovinger and her steps of ego development, which was talked about back in the 50s, right? And, and so we start in this state of selfishness and, and disconnection, and we kind of learn how to get an idea of ourself, which soothes some of our fears, but then we start to get an idea of the world around us and how to manipulate that in order to keep ourselves safe. And all that makes sense if you think about it. As babies, we're very, we're very vulnerable. As children, we're very easy to hurt. And so we start to learn mechanisms to protect ourselves as we develop as people, as we start to to get bigger in our bodies as well. And we get to this point where now we have a firm idea of who we are and a firm idea of everybody else. And that's how we interact with the world. But we're supposed to get to a point past that stage four and five and beyond of ego development where we start to question that idea of ourself as well. We don't just hold on to it as truth for the certainty of it, but we start to question it. We start to live more in ambiguity and we start to be able to empathize with people who don't necessarily relate to how we identify, right? And this is supposed to be a natural part of our progression as human beings. Like this is back in the 50s. She goes on to describe like 10 stages of ego development. But if you look at our society, if you look at the mentality that we reward in high school and college and university especially, We never leave stage three and four. We never really get beyond the idea of the idea of ourself and using that to judge and compare ourselves to everybody else. And so we get stuck on that and our society is built on that mentality. So we never really evolve past where we should be around the ages of 12 to 14, right? Because that's the mentality that makes this system run the way it does. Because if we were to evolve past that mentality, suddenly capitalism would start to fall apart nationalism would start to fall apart because those are all based on overcommitment to our ego. So it's just changing the environment and that slowly changes all of the participants, which changes the environment. And that's what we're all a a part of. That's the process that we're in right now is we're all changing. And in that we're changing the environment for others. And then they're changing and changing the environment for us. So it's a feedback loop. Makes me think of the, I think it's Alan Watts. It's probably been analogized in many different ways, like the conveyor belt of you see. It's like you see all the kids on the conveyor belt going, getting put into their school and college and get their degree and then they're go to the, their job. And then you're like getting your house and then you're getting married and then you're having kids and then you're finally retired. And then you're like, oh, great. Like now I'm, I'm 65 or 70. Now let me enjoy 
my life and then you die in whatever 10 20 30 years if you're even fortunate enough to live to that age and it's just kind of like I go back to capitalism I I personally struggle with it because I work I'm a lawyer and I work at a law firm and it's like sometimes I'm just sitting there and it's like I don't you know hopefully none of the people I work with hear this I'm just like I don't want to wear nice clothes and I don't want to sit here in an outfit that feels fake to me and I don't want to sit and do things that feel like they have no meaning and everyone's so serious and people are so stressed and it and this is why I struggle with like do I want to live in New York City is this you know is the environment you live in can I ever truly reach that state and you could argue you're not trying to reach anything because you're here already but like can I ever really feel the way I want to feel in the current job I'm in or the current environment I'm in when it's just so perpetuated perpetuating these things I don't want to be and it feels like everywhere you go in New York City like everyone gets up and before COVID you know put on your suit go to the office everyone crammed in the subway get to work stay in this small little box till five six seven o'clock go home repeat and it's just like what kind of life is that you know it's just uh, it's hard to not it's hard to partake in capitalism and uh, we all want to reap its benefits without kind of questioning it and un- trying to understand how you can live in a world and you know for those two things to coexist that's a great question i mean i i wrestle with the same thing i have for i have for a long time because obviously in my mentality i'm not a huge fan of money or 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 the the rat race that goes along with it and, and so over time i've had to make various different decisions uh, based on on what I, I felt was right for me. I know at one point I had uh, a pretty well paying administrative job for a company. And throughout working there, I started discovering that their practices weren't necessarily um, ringing with integrity. Let's just put it that way. They, they were ripping off their clients. And, and I found out and I, I brought it up to the boss and the boss very much told me, well, that's just the way the world works. Welcome to capitalism. And if you don't like it, there's the door. And to which my response was, all right, I'm going out the door. And, and I quit my job. And, and I know that day, walking back home, um, I was in full-blown panic. I, I didn't know what I was going to do. I, 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 I kept thinking to myself, Jesus, what did I just do to myself? Like, was that worth it? And years later, looking back, yeah, it was absolutely worth it because although I panicked, although it made things difficult for a short period of time, it helped me align better with the next job that I found, which of course helped me align better with the next place that I ended up in. And that led me to move around to different communities where my energy and my, my mentality did align better over time to the point where now I live in, in on Vancouver Island in a community of people that are, are very much at, at a pace that aligns well with with the way I think and the way I live. And that wasn't through trying to get here. It's just kind of organically happened over time as I followed the changes that were happening within me. And I allowed that to change my environment, regardless of how uncertain that was. So it's, it's something that happens over time. That, that's the best I can say is that you feel like you're not supposed to be there because ultimately you're not always going to be there. And you're just in the process of, of allowing that to unfold. And so I, I always try to remind myself to exercise patience and to remind myself that my perspective of what I'm going through isn't necessarily what I'm going through. And that sometimes there are lessons that, that I still have to learn. But that said, I also try and remember this is uh, this book that I read when I was younger. It's called uh, Magician Master. Uh, it was by an author named Raymond E. Feist. And there's this point where the main character's lot, his memory's gone and he's in this university for magicians and all of that. And it's a fancy book. Um, 
And he has no memory of why he's there. Just every day he has to go through the same lessons, the same lessons, the same lessons. And nobody says, okay, this is, this is how you leave. This is how you graduate. And then one day he just decides my place is no longer here. And he leaves. And that was the graduating ceremony. That was the one thing that he needed to do in order to move on in his, in his lessons and move on in his education. He had to decide this is no longer my place. And so as much as it's important to practice patience and practice getting out of your way and, and getting rid of your conflict with what is, it's also important to take responsibility and decide when it's no longer your place. Yes, I completely agree. I struggle with it very much because I turned 18 in the pandemic and all of a sudden I have to be an adult and I want to be independent and live on my own and be able to do music at the same time. But in order to bridge that gap, you need money. And I feel like capitalism is always the elephant in the room when we talk about these things, because it's like, I am coming to this awareness, but there's still these things that I can't control that I have to participate in, in order to achieve certain things. So I don't know, it's just kind of hard to deal with but you just have to keep going, I guess. Yeah, yeah, I think, I don't know. I don't know if this is like gonna be helpful at all, but I think a lot of times, and I, I feel like, Ellie, you're in a pretty good mentality in this state, but a lot of people get caught up when they talk about, you know, having to make money and all these things, they have like these ideas of what they need and they never really take the time to think about what they actually need and what they actually want. And something I did that helped me a lot with, like I've always been pretty frugal and pretty easily able to save money and not just like spend it mindlessly on things. But something that really helped me was... I think it was like two years ago, I wrote down, it was like on a piece of paper, drew a line in the middle. And it was things that I wrote on it, things that make me happy that cost money and things that make me happy that don't cost money. And what I found was the one side of things that don't cost money was like way longer. It was like 10 times as long. And the things that cost money were like traveling, skiing, going to the beach, like going out with friends. And that was like kind of the extent of it. So it actually helped me because I was almost on the other side of a lot of people in that it, I needed to like convince myself to spend money as opposed to like convince myself to not spend money on things. Like there were things, uh, especially my first year living in New York, I lived as if I was making probably a third of the money that I was actually making at least when I was with myself, I wasn't like super cheap when I was with my friends. Cause I didn't, you know, want to be that guy, but it helped me realize there were probably things that first year where I would have derived some value out of them that were worth spending money on it. Like I just didn't. Cause I was like, I'm not spending any additional money on myself. And so that actually helped me realize like, you know, if there is a weekend trip that my friends are going on, like I'm okay going on that because it checks like two of my boxes on my list of things that, you know, I am okay with spending money on that, like, you know, make me happy. Um, but things that weren't on it that I noticed more clearly were things like clothes. So I 
like I get a couple things for like Christmas and my birthday in terms of new clothes, but you know, like I bought the t-shirts I get are like 10 or 12 bucks and I got like 10 of them. And it was like a big decision to spend like, you know, get 10 new t-shirts. So I more clearly saw that like, that's not something that makes me happy. So like, I was able to put that more in perspective. So I think just for a lot of people, and this may not directly apply to you, Ella, but when you're thinking about ways, you know, you have to start making money. It's also important to keep in mind, like the things that you don't have to spend money on as well. And I know it's like probably easier to keep that in mind if you don't have very much money at all. But a lot of people like kind of get to this middle ground where they are making decent amount of money, but then they start spending more money. And as they make more money, they spend more money instead of taking a second to realize like they have enough and they don't have to, you know, keep spending money on, you know, random shit. And I think something that helps too is just like not caring so much about other people's opinions. I think a lot of people get caught up in spending a lot of money to appease other people's opinions of them or make other people think high, more highly of them. So that's another aspect that actually leads to being able to like save a lot more money is like not giving a shit what people think about you. Um, but I think taking that time to really like, be thought worthy about what, you know, actually kind of makes you happy and the things that you are willing to spend money on and that you may realize you don't actually, you know, drive much value out of that you don't have to spend money on. So I don't know, just like a little bit of perspective there um, from someone who's like, you know, recently gotten into, you know, the workforce and like making my own money and, and living on my own for a good few years now. And I will pass this on because this was a bit of advice that was passed on to me by my Sifu was that don't save your money, organize your money. That was, that was the advice that he gave me. And it was very much, it took me a little while to figure out what that meant. But basically I was in the, in the practice of saving my money away. And then instead of doing that, I started investing my money into assets. So um, I ran a web design business at one point. So instead of saving you know, the extra thousand bucks I got from that contract, I went and I invested that in prepaying for the server charges for the next three years. So that way I wouldn't have to worry about that bill as it renewed. So all of a sudden I was organizing my money and putting it in a place where it was covering my expenses early, which allowed me to start saving more and putting it towards my other endeavors, which inevitably became my life coaching business and my graphic design business and things like that. But had I just saved my money, I would have never put that money into those things that inevitably led to more expansion later. So that's, that's something that's always helped me to keep in mind as well. Um, on that note, capitalism itself is still a, a product of, of the mentality of the ego of control and division and, and all of that other uh, stuff. And so that's something that's inevitably going to get phased out of our society as we continue to evolve and grow individually and collectively. And I'm not going to get too much into that subject right now because I know Andrew and I have some plans for season two in terms of trying to come up with other ways to uh, bring some financing and some funding to unifying projects and groups and charities and things like that. We'll talk about that in, uh, I think, the next episode of season two. So I'll leave that there. We are coming up to the hour and a half mark. And, and I know that it, typically, if I don't mention something at this, we'll, we'll 
at this point, we'll go for another hour. Um, so we're going to come to a point where we wrap up here. I just want to address everybody and say thank you so much for being here. This conversation has just been amazing. I've, I've been having so much fun. And I just want to wrap up with everybody having one last question or one last thing to say. Um, and we'll start with you, Sophie. Um, I guess I kind of want to say something on the van of what we've been talking about. And I think it's interesting to kind of take a step back at it a lens of cultural shift right now going on I I mean I'm in my later 20s but people my age people younger like this whole idea of great resonation or the idea of you know I'm really into crypto and web3 and things like that and this idea of decentralization and having a world that is not run by you know the, the big middleman the big bank the big whatever so Maybe to you, Ella, just like someone who's 18, there's, there's tons of hope that we're going to enter into, you know, bridge, leave, exit slowly, slowly, and slowly, but also pretty quickly and enter perhaps a new world where you can, it doesn't really matter where you went to school or it doesn't really matter what, you know, what kind of, if you have Gucci shoes on when you go to the office, what matters is that you are making an effort to contribute to something and kind of, you know, follow your dreams. And I think that might sound a little bit, you know, oh, follow your dreams, but it, I think it actually is coming to fruition now as I've seen it happening on this, you know, these decentralized proponents of crypto and everything like that. Um, not financial advice, of course. <laughs> I love it. The term follow your dreams, I grew up on hearing that Disney Channel. That was kind of my childhood. Um, but you never really think that it's possible. So you just kind of have to go with your gut and do it, do what you love. And regardless of money, if you just look at it from that, that's a really like helpful way to drive you to keep going. And the money will come, even if, you know, I'm working gig to gig or not working at all, I'll still be singing, I'll still be pursuing music, you know? Absolutely. And, and another thing I try to keep in mind is, you know, energy in, energy out. You don't have to worry about how that energy is going to come back out, but it does. That, that's the simplest equation to life I've ever figured out is it just, just put in, just keep putting in. It'll come back around. You don't have to worry about how or when it will. And uh, Mary. I do have one question. Um, do you think that this can just as easily become a religion or what do you think about that? I'm really glad you asked that question because Andrew and I have been talking about this. And the answer is ultimately yes, if, if the participants don't keep the spirit of, it, uh, spirit of it alive. So Andrew and I have talked about this, how often what ends up happening is you end up with a hierarchy where you have people who are more awake and they're guiding other people. And that can't happen here. This has to be about everybody questioning all the time. And so if anybody ever does try to put themselves in a leadership in a leadership position where they're dictating the truths and the insights and everybody's just expected to listen, I would love for the audience to just start questioning them until they sit down and, and recognize that they're they're in, in it like everybody else, right? And that's that that I think is going to be a big focus this season is in just reminding people that this is on you. Each and every one of us are the, the universe as a whole. We're not separate, right? So you can't look to somebody else to guide you. You have to guide you. You can look to other people for insights and lessons because they are you. 
but the choice is on you at the end of the day. And so if we build this around that, if we continue to tell people like, don't trust anybody, don't trust me, don't trust Andrew, don't, don't, don't believe anything at face value, just keep questioning, you'll always end up back in the present, in the uncertainty and in the, that state of humility and faith. And if we can do that, I think it's going to do just fine. But somebody asked me recently, what would you call this? And my answer was immediately nothing, nothing. Because as soon as you do that, it becomes an identity. As soon as you start to label it something, it becomes a new religion. It becomes a new way to define yourself. And so a big part of that is just keeping all of that in mind. Yeah, no, no rules, right? And there is no should. So there's not like guidelines to how to, you know, exist properly. And when you realize these understandings, there's the understandings in itself is the lack of needing guidelines and realizations of, you know, your God within, you know, you are it experiencing itself here and now always. And as you know, we all are, and, and we are, I am you. So there's, I think there's just less ego in that and the buildup of, you know, the hierarchy and, and the separation is usually a lot of times where those religions really get built from. But, you know, as long as just we keep, we keep questioning, we get a little bit more comfortable in the uncertainty and then less comfortable in the uncertainty and back and forth and back and forth and, you know, keep questioning each other. I think, I think it'll be all right. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, as we can see from this conversation, it's, it's just going to continue to organically grow so long as we all take it seriously enough that, that, you know, it's on us, but we don't take it so seriously that it becomes a structure and a need to get anywhere, right? That does the whole thing. As long as we're not trying to aspire to God, we should be fine, but it's just about being self-honest and being vulnerable and, and being willing to let down your boundaries so that way we can all grow together as always, right? So I just want to say thank you to everybody again. I really appreciate you being here for the roundtable number one. We're going to continue to do this through season two and season three as we continue, of course, and we're going to add some more stuff as we go. But this was just a perfect first roundtable. It's just a, a great conversation. Um, we're going to stop recording here in a minute and we'll hang out and chat for a bit more. Um, but thank you. Yeah, that was thank awesome. You. Yeah. <laughs> thank you, guys.